Hey, this is Brian Kajajian of ClassicRockHistory.com. Today's podcast will look at some of the most haunting songs in rock music. So, first, what do I mean by haunting? Because we can define the term haunting many different ways. Especially in today's pop culture. When you think of the word haunting, you think probably scary, evil, creepy. But haunting could mean more things than just that. Haunting can be defined as a memory that haunts you. It could be a good memory or, of course, a bad memory. Maybe it's someone that you lost. Maybe it's uh, an ex-flame an old lover, someone who's gone. Or maybe they're still around, but they still haunt you. Not literally. You know, I mean, there's, there's a difference uh, between haunting somebody and stalking somebody. So I'm not talking about a stalker. I'm talking about just, you know, the memory of something that continues to haunt you. So I think that's what we're kind of looking at a little bit in this list of most haunting songs in rock and roll. Now, it's not just about the lyrics, because that's easy. The music has to sound haunting. That's where it gets interesting. And these songs that I picked, they all have that in common. There's something haunting about these songs. So let's get this started. So at number 10, we open this list with Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. And I tell you, this this song just gives me goosebumps as soon as I start to hear it play. That opening guitar sound, that groove that, that, that sets the mood, it's very, very cinematic. It's probably why it was used in, in many films, especially the 1990 David Lynch film, Wild at Heart. And if you listen to the lyrics of the song, it's all about trying to get that one person who who you just can't. But what makes it worse is that 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 person kind of plants the idea that maybe it's possible. But in the end, it's all just a tease. And Chris kind of sums it up really well with the perfect line when he sings, Oh, what a wicked game to play to make me feel this way. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So now at number nine, we have the song How Soon Is Now by the Smiths. If we isolated that Johnny Marr guitar part alone, it would still be enough to be placed on this list. There is something almost paralyzing about that guitar part on this Smith song, How Soon Is Now. Now, the song originally appeared as the B-side on a 12-inch single of William, It Was Really Nothing, and that was back in uh, 1984. The song eventually finds its way on the American edition of the Smith's second album, 
Meat is Murder, which came out in 1985. But what really distinguishes this song is that haunting guitar riff created by Johnny Marr. And then, of course, Morrissey's lyrics, which, you know, just kind of dive into the themes of alienation and, and longing for connection. You know, How Soon Is Now, it, it captures this profound sense of angst and, and uh, social isolation. And there's that lyric where he sings, I am human and I need to be loved just like everybody else does. And Morrissey's admission of vulnerability, it just resonated with a generation of listeners who, who found solace in his words and, and his exploration of the, the human condition. And of course, the song's refrain, How Soon Is Now, just underscores the urgency and impatience of the desire for change and, and connection, and it, and it kind of made it an anthem for a generation. Now, whenever we do these types of thematic lists on the rock site, if I can, I always try to get a little bit of Led Zeppelin in there because, you know, they're my favorite band. I saw them when I was 15 or 16, 16 years old. Um, at Madison Square Garden in 1977. And so I was thinking, well, there was a lot of different songs, a lot of different Led Zeppelin songs that I could have thrown into this list. But the one I kept going back to was No Quarter, which was released on the Houses of the Holy album. Now, as I was listening to more and more songs, to put together. I kept hearing a lot of Fender Rhodes. And that's for those who don't know what a Fender Rhodes is, that's an electronic piano or electric, it's actually an electric piano because it actually has real hammers, real strings. That was widely used in in jazz fusion music in the 60s and it was used a lot in rock and roll. And John Paul Jones uses it just so perfectly in this song. I mean, he really sets up this stirring, haunting vibe with the use of the Fender Rhodes. And it's, and it's, it's not, he's not playing, you know, it's, it's not flashy, it's not intricate. It's all in the way he approaches each note. And there's a lot of tremolo. There's a lot of tremolo going on in here. And it's not just about John Paul Jones. It's all hands on deck, as it always was in pretty much every Led Zeppelin song. But when Robert Plant starts singing, I mean, has Robert Plant ever sounded so creepy? I mean, he's, he's singing about um, you know war and, and all this medieval stuff that he likes to get into. But you don't really hear that. You don't really hear what he's singing about. It just sounds spooky and very very haunting and you know at the time when that song came out there was no MTV or videos or computers or any of that nonsense so Led Zeppelin had this mystique about them already because you never really saw them and so songs like this just even push that mystique even further 
Now, talking about Mystique, next on our list at number seven is Tom Waits' House Where Nobody Lives. Tom Waits is another one of those artists where we could have did a top 20 list of Tom Waits' most haunting songs, maybe a top 30 or top 40. There's always a bit of, you know, this kind of creepiness in, in Tom Waits' music. A lot of that has a lot to do with his voice, of course. But his lyrics that, that he wrote with his wife, Kathleen Brennan, are so brilliant. And, and A House Where Nobody Lives, you know, this is one of those songs that never answers the question we, we don't really want to answer. You know, is, is, is Tom Waits using the lyric House Where Nobody Lives as a metaphor for someone who's lived maybe an unfulfilled life or a once happy life that has faded away? Maybe it's not really about the house. Maybe it's about the person. Of course, it, it could be about the house. I mean, we've all grown up in neighborhoods and lived in places where there was that one, you know, ghost house where nobody lived there. And, and you kind of wondered why, what happened there? Did something bad happen? You know, you, you just don't know. So Tom Waits really delivers a brilliant, a brilliant lyric and a brilliant feel. And the, the funny thing about Tom Waits' um, house where nobody lives is it's not a scary sounding song. It's not doesn't sound haunting. It's just it's actually sweet. But in the sweetness is, is the sadness. And that's what makes that one so brilliant. Now at number six we have our first female voice on the list. And it's Alanis, Alanis Morzette. And the song that uh, we picked to be to represent her voice is Uninvited. And this song opens up with a simple piano introduction that could that could just be used to define the term, the musical term haunting. You know, if you're a musician, there are musical definitions like legato and and you know, uh, you know all these different definitions that tell you how to play something. Well, I, I don't know. I think if you just put uninvited, that would mean haunting because that's what this sounds like right from the beginning. The song was recorded in 1997, and it was used um, in the film City of Angels. That's it. I couldn't remember it for a second. That's the one with uh, Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage. Anyway, Uninvited, it's, it's got this gradual buildup leading to this, like, powerful, powerful ending, which mirrors this intense emotional journey in the lyrics. You know, she explores, you know, themes of vulnerability, desire, and the complexities of, of consent and emotional boundaries in relationships. She grapples um, with this intensity of an unexpected and perhaps unwelcome attraction. And, it, and she sums it all up. When she sings, I need to be invited. And so this this one, this one, this one gets you. So now we're we're at the halfway point on our ten most haunting songs in rock music list. And well, we need to go here. We need to go into Pink Floyd Land. 
because how could you do a list of haunting songs and not include Pink Floyd? Just like Tom Waits, he's there, another musical act that we could fill up um, a whole article on, Pink Floyd haunting songs. Now, we're comfortably numb. I mean, if you listen to that bass line at the song's beginning, I mean, talk about gloom and doom. I mean, this is a song that has stood as one of Pink Floyd's greatest recordings. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I think it's their most haunting. Um, it's also one of, you know, it's also one of the most astonishing rock and roll songs ever recorded. And, and one of the reasons behind that is Gilmore's guitar solos, which are, are just like phenomenal in this tune. And, and so you have this song that's got this brilliant musicianship in it. But if you listen to the lyrics, you know, the, you know, the feelings of isolation and detachment and being haunted by loneliness, which, which, which will just lead to one of the most debilitating and life-threatening situations that any man or woman can live with. And so, um, yeah, this one deserves to be on this list. So now next up is um, the music of an artist. It's actually the music of a band, but it, the song is fueled by one particular artist in the band, um, a persona that's, that's often been hailed as a witch. And I guess once I said witch, you know that I'm talking about Stevie Nicks. A good witch, though, not a bad witch. Um, and, it's, and, and it's an aura and a mystique that has been planted by by her, you know, herself. She's kind of wanted to send that out there. Um, and so you're probably thinking, well, which song? Because there's a lot of Stevie Nicks songs in the band Fleetwood Mac that, that are haunting. Um, but the one that I, I thought was really special, and I know you might think I'm saying I'm going to say Rhiannon or Silver Springs, but no, I thought the one um, that I should place on this list was um, called Sisters of the Moon. And um, this song is featured on uh, the band's 1979 album, Tusk. And what's really special about this song is that, you know, Stevie Nicks has these amazing, you know, haunting vocals on the track, which are accompanied by, you know, Lindsay's distinctive guitar work. That just fits so perfectly in between the verses and even underneath Stevie when she's singing. And in the song, she's, she's diving into themes of mysticism, darkness, and the feminine divine. And there's the line where she sings, intense silence as she walked in the room, which captures the, the presence of the song's protagonist adding to the tracks, you know, otherworldly ambience. Now, the song never became a big hit or anything, but it became a, a fan favorite. And one of the reasons why it becomes this fan favorite is the way she did it in concert. It was just, just mesmerizing. So like Tom Waits, like Pink Floyd, Stevie's another one that we could do a whole list of Stevie Nicks' most haunting songs, and we probably, we probably will do that. Um, for those of you still with me here so far in this podcast, I thank you, and uh, just want to let you know that 
you know, you could actually go to classicrockhistory.com and and there's an article called The Ten Most Haunting Songs on Rock Music, which which echoes this podcast. And we have the songs, you know, we have the songs in that article. We have the videos of all the songs. We can't really add them to the podcast because of rights. You can't do that in podcasts. But you can go to the article on classicrockhistory.com and um, you can definitely uh, check out all the songs in case you don't know them. So we have three more left. And I think one that maybe people would have thought of or maybe they wouldn't have thought of, um, but I definitely thought about was um, Elton John's Funeral for a Friend slash Love Lies Bleeding. Even though there are two you know, distinct tracks like on a CD, both songs are connected. You can't play Funeral for a Friend and not play the second half of Love Lies Bleeding. Now, I think if you're a classic rock fan, if you're over the age of 30 or 40, you know this song. It's it's one of his biggest songs. It's one of his uh, most loved pieces of music. It's just this daunting, epic instrumental piece that that eventually merges into this rock and roll, you know, extravaganza. Um, but from the opening sounds of the piece, that the wind, to that that bone chilling church organ that appears, this is definitely one of the most haunting songs in rock and roll history. Now, some will argue that it's only the first half of the song that is fueled by sadness and sorrow. But even even in the transitions, there is still this feeling of loss and longing. And you think it kind of resolves because he Elton John shifts from this minor key instrumental piece into this you know rock and roll major key sounding second half. However... However, 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 you listen to Bernie Taupin's lyrics. The man keeps it painful. Because all you have to do is listen to what Elton John sings. When he sings, it kills me to think of you with another man. Two songs on this list. And, well, I'll say it right now. The final two songs are by the same musical artist. And that's The Doors. And originally we had these reversed, but then I switched them back. So at number two, I've placed The Doors' Riders on the Storm. Because this one is everything you need. The song opens with the sound of rain and thunder, and then all of a sudden Ray's chilling Fender Rhodes electric piano playing creeps in there, and, and Robbie Krieger's you know, guitar licks, and what what a scene it sets up. I mean, you could just you could just feel, you could see yourself driving in that car down the highway in the rain. You've done it before, you feel it, it's perfect. And then, you know, the the music setting it all up. And then Morrison's deep godlike baritone. He just seals the deal. And, and what is so haunting about this recording outside of the song itself is that it is one of the last songs ever recorded by The Doors before Jim Morrison's death in July of 1971. You know, ly- lyrically, Riders in the Storm dwells into the themes of existentialism, its pre- precocious nature, and, and, and the human condition. Morrison's his his poetry just paints this 
vivid imagery of her journey through the storm. But it's not just literally, it's metaphorically. And it's that line into this house we're born, into this world we're thrown, that really describes humans' individual existences as being thrown into a world without their choice. And it just highlights the song's deep, philosophical, and haunting thoughts. So now the final song on our list of Rock's 10 Most Haunting Songs. It's actually the first song that I thought of when I was composing this list. And that is one of the most famous Doors songs of all called The End. I mean, how perfect to end a list with a song called The End. I mean, we could have easily added a few more from Jim and the Boys, but we wanted, you know, we wanted to keep spots open for other artists. The End was featured on the band's first album called The Doors, which was released in 1967. Now, it's funny because this song was originally conceived as a breakup song. But I guess when they listened back and in the middle of when they were doing it, it just evolved into something else. And, and it just blends so many different elements of thought and, and music. But most of all, it, it, shows, it shows right from the beginning. I mean, this is their first album. It shows right from the beginning the band's willingness to push boundaries. Morrison's willingness to push boundaries, which he did his entire career. Now, in this song, it's his dark, it's his poetic lyrics that are central to the song's narrative, which really explores themes of love, death, and, and conflict. And, it, you know, it, it cultivates in a, in, in a dramatic and controversial spoken word section, which we're not going to get into here, but you all know what, what I'm talking about. It, it's just, it's, it's a timeless piece. And um, I don't know if, if you were around, if, if you were a teenager in the 1980s or 70s, but, you know, if, in the late 70s, the Doors were still a popular band, even though, you know, Morrison had died back in, in uh, the early 70s. But they weren't as popular in the late 70s as they were at the, you know, when the band was together. But what happened was... Francis Ford Coppola releases this film called Apocalypse Now and it features the song in the end and this just dramatic scene and it, it, it brings back the music of the Doors. It's like this whole Doors revitalization that goes on in the early 80s. I mean, there's all these Doors cover bands. Uh, the Doors music just is all over radio again. And I remember disc jockeys and, and rock critics and lots of people talking about how the doors were bigger in 81 than they were in 71. And, and that was true. They were really big uh, in the early 80s until, you know, of course, music changes again in the mid-80s. And um, Oliver Stone tries to revitalize interest in the doors once again when he does his movie The Doors, uh, which featured Val Kilmer 
as Jim Morrison and Val Kilmer was great as Jim Morrison. I mean, just just fabulous, great film. So it's a band that that lingers on. Um, the, their lead singer Jim Morrison's been dead for fifty years. <sighs> fifty years, and we're still listening to their music, and their music still has an impact. And they were number one on our ten rocks. Uh, 10 Most Haunting Songs list. So my name is Brian Kajajian. I'm the editor-in-chief of ClassicRockHistory.com. And if you're still with me now, thanks, man. See you next time.